Why is Genesis 1 through 11 important? Or, if you want to word it another way, why be concerned about God as creator? <clears throat> we on? Oh, okay. <clears throat> Let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter... 15. 1 Corinthians <clears throat> chapter 15. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul in the second part of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians is responding to apparently some questions, some concerns that they had. And we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. that there's a parallel between Christ and Adam. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received to you, I passed on as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and then he goes on to explain who else Christ appeared to. Many times we think about the gospel, we think about Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, and his being seen. Central to Christ's death, burial, resurrection, being seen is the person of Christ, but the person of Christ and what he did in relation to the cross is not necessary if there is no Adam. Skip down to verse 21. I'll start with verse 20 of chapter 15. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Refers to Adam. Through Adam, death came. Through Christ, all will be made alive. There is no Christ, no need of Christ, if there is no Adam, if there is no death. Creation and Christ are intimately related. Look at verse 44, middle of the verse. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, referring to Christ, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first. But the natural and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from heaven. There's a parallel between Adam and Christ. We'll come back to that in a second. Through Adam, death came. Through Christ, the resurrection of the dead. Through Adam, all die. 
through Christ, all believers would be made alive. By the way, do you ever talk to someone and they just don't seem to see their need of Christ? It's because they don't recognize an Adam. They don't recognize a creator. There is no death. There's no creator. There's no Adam. There's no death. So why the need of a Christ? Adam was a living being. Christ is a life-giving spirit. Adam was of the dust of the earth. Christ is from heaven. Adam was spiritual, or I'm sorry, natural. Christ is spiritual. One of the reasons we struggle in evangelism and unbelievers seem to see no need of Christ is because if creator God is denied, there is no creator, there is no Adam, there is no sin, there is no death. So why the need of a savior? And the further we go in our culture today, the more that seems to be true. So, what, 40 years ago now? I guess about 40 years. Setting in biology class at Delaware Valley, and the professor is up there expounding on the missing link. No, what's missing in this whole evolution thing did not acknowledge a creator God. So no need of a savior because there's no creator. That's the world in which we live. But there is no message of Christ if there is no creator God. Let's go to Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5. We mentioned the first Adam, a second Adam, and that is brought out very clearly in Romans chapter 5. We'll begin reading with verse 12. Romans 5 and verse 12. Paul has just finished discussing the fact that we can be reconciled to God, restored to favor to God through Christ. So he says in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin... And in this way, death came to all men because all sin. For before the law was given, sin was in the world. But sin is not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of all, or the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Again, the gift of God is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? The entire human race is identified with Adam, the first Adam. And if we repent of sin and trust in Christ, then we're identified with Christ. There is no need of Christ, the second Adam, 
if there is no first Adam. If you stop and think about it, perhaps one of the reasons the enemy has worked so hard since creation to deny Genesis 1 through 11 is for the simple reason that if there's no first Adam, there's no second Adam, Christ. First Adam, sin entered the world. Second Adam, gift entered the world. First Adam, death to all humans. Second Adam, grace overflowed to many. First Adam, judgment, condemnation. Second Adam, justification. First Adam, death reigns. Second Adam, we reign in life. First Adam, condemnation for all men. Second Adam, justification that brings life. First Adam, disobedience. Many were made sinners. Second Adam, obedience. Many will be made righteous. First Adam, sin reigns in death. Second Adam, grace reigns to bring eternal life. Recently, I was talking to a man, an unbeliever, and I brought the issue up concerning relationship with God and, you know, the issue of sin and need of Christ and so on. And his response to me was, well, I know where I will go when I die. And it wasn't to heaven, and it wasn't to hell, and it wasn't to purgatory. He had another place that he came up with. And, you know, attempted to talk a little further to him. And he was open, but yet it seemed to hit a brick wall. And it goes back to not seeing the first Adam. Not seeing God as creator, not seeing the first Adam, so there's no sin, so there's no death, so there's nothing to worry about. So why the need of Christ? Yesterday, in Arizona, I think there were six people that have died at this point. A tragedy in our nation. more than that being shot. What you believe about the first Adam determines why that happened. We can give all kinds of explanations. The root explanation is that he is in the first Adam. Or they, depends how many people were involved. But if they are not in the first Adam, we can blame parents, we can blame education, we can blame our culture. What we believe about the first Adam and the second Adam also determines what we do as far as what can be done to help someone like that. Biblically, we would say capital punishment. But our culture says, no, can't do capital punishment. And we'll put them in jail and let them sit there for years upon years. That all goes back to Genesis 1 through 11. 
a neglect of that, a denial of that, and then that again results in much, much difficulty. Another reason, as we think about Christ, let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. We read this this morning. We'll read it again. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. Hebrews 1 and verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. The overall thrust of Hebrews, Christ is better than. But notice it says, For he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. So Christ is involved in creation, and then immediately says, after he provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. To talk to someone about Christ and not bring up the issue of creator God and Christ as creator probably is not wise. Because if there is no creator God, there's no need of Christ, and the Christ they think is the Christ is not who he said he was. You will find creation by Christ and his work on the cross are tied together a number of times in the New Testament. Also, in Revelation 4, The consummation, what's coming in the future, is tied to creation and the cross. We won't turn there, but in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, it talks about God, Christ, being creator. In chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it talks about the cross. And in chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, it talks about what's coming in the future. There is nothing for us in the future if there is no cross. And there's no cross if there's no creator. So you talk to someone about the future. Big deal. You say, you know, we can escape this mess in the world. Why do I want to escape it? It's pretty good here. Well, you can go to be with the Lord in the future. What's so great about going to be with the Lord in the future? Why do I need that? There's no creator, so there's no cross. 
So why do you even think about the future? If we talk about what's coming in the future, we have to speak the cross, and if we speak the cross, we have to speak the creator. <clears throat> Our hope is not in this earth, but it's intimately related to the cross and creation. We also live in a Greek culture. I call it a Greek culture, not a Jewish culture. And by Greek culture, I mean that basically the culture in which we live does not acknowledge God. This is a dare. Buy the newspaper every day this week and read through it carefully to find any news that talks about God in the context of the news. And a creator God. Watch any news program on television. <clears throat> and see how many of them talk about the importance of a creator God if we're going to correctly understand world events. And I think I'm pretty safe in saying you'll probably find nothing. If you get some Christian news channel, you know, then it's somewhat different. But I'm talking your average news channel. Basically, we live in a culture that is void of God as creator. So we have to begin with a creator, God. And you might stop and think, well, okay. Mention that later. And another factor is we shoot at the wrong target. If we're not careful, we end up shooting at the wrong target. Here's a drawing. I think Ken Ham is the one who came up with this. <clears throat> Probably could be changed somewhat in our world today. <clears throat> On one side, we have homosexual behavior, school violence, family breakup. We could put abortion in there and just a host of, host of social issues. At the root of that is basically evolution or no God, man decides truth. Over here we have Christianity with creation, God's word is truth as foundational. We may seek to deal with abortion, school violence, homosexual behavior, family breakup, and so on. That's basically in vain. Unless we address the foundation. <clears throat> you cannot address cultural issues without addressing the foundation. You can address them, but it's basically in vain. Because underlying cultural issues is what you believe about origins. A 
abortion as an example. Those who would encourage abortion, if you ask them their belief systems about origins, the majority will not talk about a creator God. The issue of pornography, which is very, very prevalent in our country, underlying pornography is a denial of a creator God. Because women are things, guys are things, it goes both ways nowadays, much more than it used to, to be used by men or women for their pleasure. So if there's no creator God who designed men and women in his image, we use people and abuse them to satisfy self. But if we recognize a creator, God created men and women in his image. He designed marriage, one man, one woman for life. That has tremendous implications when it comes to pornography. And to attempt to deal with pornography without dealing with a belief system concerning creator God, in many respects, is kind of non-existent. The whole issue of school violence and What happens in schools? I am not, anything I say now is not said in a critical way. It's just to illustrate change in our culture. When I was in high school, we had an eighth grade teacher, Mr. Lope, who had a board about this wide and about this long, and he had drilled holes in the end of it. He developed a nice handle on it. And you did not want to cross him the wrong way because he would take you out in the hall and use that as a paddle. He did not call mom or dad first. He just used it. I happened to be the third in line. My brother Orv fell into his good graces. My next brother Bob, because Orv fell into his good graces, naturally fell into his good graces. And because I was the third brewbaker in line, I just naturally fell into his good graces. Don't ask me why he liked the brewbakers. We could sit in study hall, and we could talk. Nothing would be said. You go a table or two over, someone would talk, and just like that, he was on top of them, you know, and you've got to be quiet. So when I was in seventh grade, I sat beside my brother and one of his friends, and then myself, and one of my friends, and the four of us could talk and never get in trouble. We never got the paddle. Maybe we should have had the paddle, but we never got the paddle. If that were to happen in a school system today, there would probably be a lawsuit. Very, very big. There's a change in our culture when we say violence has happened in school. Do we trace that school violence to a belief system concerning Genesis 1 through 11? That basically God designed man and woman, and within that realm, children come into the picture, and children are to be trained and taught by mom and dad. No, we don't believe that anymore. They're to be educated. You know, someone else is supposed to do it. Let the government do it or whatever. I'm not saying everyone believes that way. But my only point is that the belief system, the foundation, determines the outcome and the action. 
we may seek to deal with abortion, family breakup, homosexuality, school violence, pornography, and a host of other social issues. But unless we deal with the root, we basically lose the battle. Now let me go back to my original question that I said we would discuss. How? Do we live as creator, God, creator, Christ people in a no-God world? Those of you who go to a school that may not be able to teach a creator God with liberty, how do you live as a creator God person in that environment? <clears throat> Those of you who go to a place of employment where you're not allowed to freely talk about a creator God, how do you live godly in that environment? How do you respond to the news, whatever the news may be, if you believe creator God, but the news is coming from no creator God? How do we live as creator God people in a basically no God world? What's that practically look like? How does it influence our lives? How does it influence how we respond? <clears throat> Looking for response. So your son, your daughter, your granddaughter, your grandson comes up to you and says, hey dad, hey grandpa, hey mom, hey grandma. We just sat here and watched a half hour TV program that had some commercials. We say there's a creator God. How should that influence how we interpret what we just watched on television? Does it make any difference how we would think about that? Should it make any difference? <clears throat> Your son or daughter comes home from school and says, uh, in science class today, biology class today, <clears throat> they were telling us about the birds and the beaks and how evolution brought them about, you know, and that is one of the evidences of evolution. Is that true, Dad? Is that true, Mom? Is that true, Grandpa? Is that true, Grandma? How do you respond? What difference does it make in our daily lives? <clears throat> Let me pose another one. If you go to Northwest High School, 
I'm not sure what grade you will get the biology textbook. You will find in the biology textbook, at, used at Northwest High School unless they got a new textbook in the last several years, that they present some evidence for evolution. It is a outright lie. It's been demonstrated repeatedly that it is not true. It's not, it's not valid factually. How do you as a parent respond to that, or a grandparent? I'm not knocking Northwest High School. It's true in most schools. It's just, they present something for evolution and it's not accurate. How do you respond? My boy, bottom line question is, does Creator God make a difference in how we live? How should it make a difference? We can't escape the world. So while you're thinking, I'll give you another one. So you listen to the news. And we have recently changed don't ask, don't tell policy in the military. And in the process of doing that, we are told that people are born, you know, one way or the other. That goes back to Genesis 1 through 11. How do we respond to that? We're not going to escape the world. <laughs> Any response? Jeff? You have to take them to God's word and show them what God's word says about each of these particular subjects or topics. You do that at home. You not only have to do that, you have to be living that. <clears throat> Okay, in a school or parental setting. Okay, any other response? So we shouldn't be shocked by what we hear or see. And I think you're correct on that. You know, it's our culture, you know, and we've been, you know, tearing the foundation down for quite a few years. By the way, I would challenge you to do some research on abortion in America. That goes back long, long ways. Long before the 70s, the 1970s. Other response. How do we live in our culture 
claiming a creator God, but yet our culture really doesn't live in light of that. Why doesn't our culture Well, <clears throat> drifted from God, and even if they were, we were trying to be godly, they still need Christ. Okay. With Ann? Okay, loving our brothers and sisters as well as loving unbelievers. Anita. And I think sometimes in a number of these issues, homosexuality being one of them, to provide a godly or striving to be godly because none of us arrived home. They can see a relationship between a man and a wife and what God designed it to be. And maybe... In the case of homosexuality, inviting someone into your home at times to let Christ be seen in you. Will you say, they might influence me? Christ was known as a friend of publicans and sinners. Apparently he spent a lot of time with them, but yet not weighed by them. A couple other thoughts and we'll wrap it up. <clears throat> How many of us <clears throat> would be willing to care for someone dying of AIDS as an expression of love to them? How many of us are willing to encourage our children and our grandchildren to go to college and go to law school, become an attorney with an intent of being an attorney and eventually, hopefully, be a judge in Luzerne County with a godly worldview? Some of in our church are involved in children's work in some way. A tremendous 
opportunity just to influence our culture. And what happens to kids? I know one individual who's a believer, just behind the scenes, basically was asked by judges, where should we place this foster child? A believer recognized for their or their ability. And that individual then had the opportunity to say, well, why don't you place him in this home or this home or this home? Because those homes were known to be believing homes you know, who were seeking to be sensitive to God. There's ways to respond, but we live basically in a culture that is no God. We shouldn't be surprised at that. But seeking wisdom and how to do that in a godly way. Most of the input you receive, some of it by choice, maybe some of it not by choice, is a no God. If you spend two hours in front of the television, you probably spent two hours in front of no God input. You know, it's not that everything there is anti God, it's just, you know, God is not brought into the picture. Many of the <clears throat> movies that are produced are no God. You know, news is that way. We live in that culture, but yet living godly, not demanding everything change, but equipping believers to live godly. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness, your unchangeableness, your working in our lives. We need wisdom and understanding from you as how to live with grace in the midst of a world that lets you out of the picture.